You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. It is really, really a deep honor to have today's guest with me. Welcome to everybody to another amazing episode of the Welcome to Humanity podcast, True Voice Edition. So today it is my deepest honor, my deepest privilege to, um, uh, you know, welcome a, a new guest, someone who I've only known for, uh, I guess, a little over, maybe closer to two years. And we've had um, interesting encounters through the time. We, yeah, Shaheen's taught me a ton and it's just been a pleasure to kind of walk in behind him. He's got a great book that I read that is actually one of the first books that I've read cover to cover in less than a day in years. So we'll be able to talk to that. Um, and uh, he's really just an amazing human being. Now, the thing about Shaheen and some of you, at least on this podcast, aren't going to be able to see that is that he just kind of almost looks like barely like he's average. But the last thing that Shaheen Cheyenne is, is average. And we're going to be able to talk a little bit about that. He's worked really hard to get himself looking like a midstream kind of guy. And the truth is, this guy has been way the hell out there. So many different directions over time. And has really found himself a space where he can be a, a true influencer, a true contributor, a wonderful friend, a wonderful dad, a wonderful, you know, just someone who can teach and really outright friendly human being. And it's just a pleasure, brother, to have you on this call with me. Welcome to the Welcome to Humanity podcast, Shaheen Cheyenne. Honored to be on, Dr. Fred. So nice to be on your show. The honor is mine. Awesome. Well, that's great, Shaheen. It is really, really fun. Isn't is podcasting fun? Because, you know, you you invite really great people to come on your podcast. And for now, they just say yes. Like, you just invite great people. Like, oh, yeah, I'll be on. Okay, let's go. And that's what's happening here. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit, but we're going to start with the question. It's really just a good icebreaking question. And it's part of the Welcome to Humanity question that I think really gets us really gets us launched into some direction. It's an easy question. We call it the nine letter question. It's only nine letters, so how hard could it be? And uh, it's fully grammatically correct and everything like that. So here's what it is, Sheen Cheyenne. Sheen Cheyenne, who are you? That's a really good question. And it's funny, I would think I would have an immediate answer to that, but you gave me reason to pause. So I am a entrepreneur. I'm a father, I am a husband, and fellow human living on this planet, just like you. So an entrepreneur, a husband, a father, and a fellow human, just like me and us. Yeah. I'll buy that. I'm in on all four of those things. And what does it mean to be Shaheen Cheyenne father, for instance? Well, I think that's probably one of the most rewarding things that I've done in my life is bring up uh, a son to bring up a boy. It's, it's really an exceptional thing when you can live beyond your own story and start creating another story, which is super exciting. And we can get more into that, but it's also one of the reasons why I love being a father besides being really fucking good at it. 
I tend to be really fucking good at just a couple things and then insanely bad at everything else. Um, it's been my, my blessing and my curse. But as far as being a father goes, I tend to be very good at it. And it's something I enjoy a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I'm caught up with when I think about you is how old is your son now? He's eight, He's right? Eight. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things I, 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 you know, I think about when I think about you is your past is, you know, your book talks a bit, a bit about your upbringing and, you know, where you were born and what was going on in your family and the things that led up to your, your teens, which were, you know, as extraordinary as anyone I've ever heard. And I'm sure as extraordinary as anyone, anyone's ever heard. But before we get to your teens, let's talk a little bit about are you seeing yourself through your son? Do you get to see what you now get to heal about yourself? Or what is that experience like for you? God, he's so much better than me. He's so much smarter. He's so much quicker. It's kind of like seeing me 2.0. Mm-hmm. And, and yet him being his own person. I mean, I look at him and I can see his weaknesses because he's only eight and I can see his strengths and I can see where he needs a little bit of a push and where he needs to pull back a little bit so I can become an effective coach and an effective guide for him on his journey. Um, but the person that he is going to become is is very unique and and is a is is his own journey. You know, it's interesting. The the writer Khalil Gibran, who's one of my favorite writers back mm-hmm. in the day, poets, mm-hmm. uh, a Lebanese guy, said something to the effect of, "Our children come through us, but not from us," mm-hmm. which I think is such an interesting statement because they really are their own people, and we can influence them, but ultimately they're going to make all the right decisions themselves or all, all their own decisions and having to live with those consequences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well said. And when you look at, when you look at your son and you consider, you know, maybe he gets to make all the right decisions. You get to influence him. You're really fucking good at being a dad. It's something that deep passion for you. Like when you look at mm, like him speaking or him saying or him asking questions or him being curious or him purely exploring those things which he doesn't understand yet. What's your stand on that? Like what, how does how, you know, some dads, I'd imagine it's not you, but some dads are like, you know, uh, kids are meant to be seen and not heard or shut up and eat your dinner or, uh, you know, I, that's enough of you. I've had a long day. I'm, I'm guessing nothing like that ever will come out of Shaheen's mouth. But what is that? No, look, I think part of being a man and, and being a husband and a family guy is selecting a good quality mate. I think that's important for both people. But, uh, you know, I can speak as a, as a man because that's who I am. And so a kid's upbringing has two parts. One is you as his father, and two will be the mother and her belief system and her bringing him up. So if you choose a mother and your belief systems don't jive, then you're going to have some issues because that kid's going to have some confusion. Mm -hmm. You got to be on the same page. As far as me and how I instill guidance on my son, it's really allowing him to make his own choices. And I teach him like 
dude, you need to make those decisions yourself. It's, it's kind of like what we talk about when we teach people how to influence people in e-commerce and Amazon. You know, I have this course where we teach people how to make money on the Amazon platform. It has to do with influence. And if you shove something down somebody's throat, at a certain point, especially if they're cognizant, if they're self-realized to some extent, and right around eight, they start to become self-realized. They start to to understand that they're a human with free will. And Mm -hmm. if something is is being forced upon them, they're not going to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And that is the foundation of the rebellion that you're going to have when they hit their teenage years, for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm. Everyone's going to rebel by the in their teenagers. You know mm. it. It, it, mm. it happens. It's one of the uh, predictable life crises that uh, Gail Sheehy writes in her book Passages. I'm sure you you've read mm-hmm. that as a psychologist. Great book, by the way. I read that when I was uh, studying uh, human uh, human psychology and NLP because it's a great way to uh, predict um, the next stage in people's lives. So you can you can look back and see that we're so ununique. Mm -hmm. Uh, just from the perspective of being humans. But I I look at him and I start to see him making his own decisions. And I see my role as giving him the tool sets to make the right decisions, not to force him to make my decisions Mm -hmm. like my parents tried to do. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a little bit of a, a shift in thinking, but I think if you do that, then you become a coach, then your kids can rely on you. And of course, there's all that stuff of trust and open communication and being, uh, you know, not their friend because you you need to be the parent. Kids don't need you to be their friend; they need you to be their parent. Right. Um, and there's an element to it where you you are their friend as well, of course. But ultimately, they 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 need that firmness, particularly from a father, to you know, kind of gently nudge them back into line when they get out of it, especially boys. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's, that's kind of how I've been handling fathering and, you know, I don't read fathering books and take fathering classes. It's, it's something that I feel comes intuitively. Now, the third element of that, that we're now that we're talking really is, is going to be cultural. Mm-hmm. So I'm Iranian, uh, Iranian Jew, and there's two cultures there bringing, bringing into that. And I'm not terribly a religious person, much more so a cultural person, but when you look at it and instilling your cultural beliefs um, and allowing your child to choose from the ones that are beneficial to him or her um, you, you give them another form of empowerment. Bruce Lee, somebody who I studied for years and was my childhood hero even to the point where I went out and seeked out his his prodigy and business partner and started to uh, take classes from him, guy here in, in Marina del Rey, uh, would say, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. Hmm. And that's really the approach I take to life, the approach I take to business, and the approach I take to fatherhood. I l- try to allow my child to, to do that. And in so doing, he creates a system that's very fluid that he can implement his own part to it and make it something that's going to work for him in life. Mm-hmm. But the least amount of restriction, the most amount of, of freedom with some limits. 
with reasonableness. Because if you if you let them just go wild, they'll fucking go all over the place, especially mm-hmm. boys. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's this really thank you for that and really great treatise and, and good reflections, fantastic for uh, reflections about some of the leaders in the past, including Bruce and uh, Gabrine and many, many, uh, many different references here on what has now led you to be reliably a fantastic dad. Now, the next question is, you touched for a moment here that your parents didn't actually raise you with those same uh same thought patterns or with the the same infrastructure and that they wanted you to go a certain way and actually did, I guess, shove some stuff down your throat. And that didn't work exactly uh, to to have you be what they wanted. It worked to create whoever you have become, I suppose. And uh, I'm, I'm curious because I think we can't get through this conversation without at least talking about your specific teenage years. Um, it's it, uh, for whatever you're comfortable with. And I'm saying that from eight years old, when you became a little bit more cognizant about the fact that, you know, you're a sovereign human being, you get to choose a little bit about how things go. You get to, you know, you get to start rebelling or start saying yes and no to the things that matter to you. Then you get this really storied and uh, in fact, beyond credible uh, teenage experience what what was it like for you to be a teenager? And I, I know you probably spoken to this before, but what does it look like for you to be a teenager? Really, you? Yeah. So part of my thing is I grew up very fast. I was not born here. I was born in Iran. We came to this country when I was five and we were refugees. I didn't speak a word of English. And we came here and I was like the odd child out. Like people did not understand. It was not a good time. It was Iran-Contra, so not a good time for Iranians. And I had to come up. And I realized very quickly that I needed to learn English. I need to assimilate to the culture. I needed to, to learn a lot. So the quickest way to do that was through watching a shit ton of television. So I managed to get my folks to get me a TV in my room. And I was just glued to it. And my no folks were okay. Yeah, because I was, oh, man, I had a whole schedule. I had Three's Company. <laughs> I had the Jeffersons. I had Good Times. I had uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley. I had Happy Days. I was learning yeah. everything about, yeah, every, hey, everything about American culture through TV. <laughs> um, and no, I, learned- I think right there, right there is all you really need, right? All those shows you just said should get you hooked up with American culture. Who needs history when you got those, really? And anyways, please continue. Yeah, and, and then I realized I need to learn this language very quickly to read it. So I started learning, you know, teaching myself how to read. And as soon as I learned how to read, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And by the time I was 10, I was reading personal development books. I was reading yeah. business books. I was reading um, all, all kinds of books. Uh, Bruce Lee's uh, Jeet Kune Do I read when I was um, early on. I mean, I read all those books and I think it just kind of speaks to being the kind of person that's authentic to what your spirit is calling for from you. Like not to get too woo with it, but no. to, to, to being able to follow your heart. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And for me, by the time I was a teenager, I knew that I was able to achieve great things because I'd seen myself perform um, in my adolescence. 
but that there was a huge restriction both on society from my parents uh, to succeed. So what I did was I said, hey, I need a change. I'm not going to thrive in this environment. My folks didn't understand. So I decided to go out on my own. And so the majority of my teenage life um, was spent independently. I did not spend it within a family structure, which allowed me to build my belief system to seek mentors that helped me forge my personality, be who I am today. Wow. Now, when you say you went out on your own, you know, I left home when I was 17 and I consider that pretty young. I'm pretty sure you left a little earlier than that. When was it, would you say, where you started living independently and not inside a family structure? Oh, that's cool. Like 15. Yeah. yeah it's just a couple of years before. But yeah. when you're, you're a teenager, you know, two years is pretty, you know, it's a pretty big deal. It's like my kid, when I'm talking four years, I'm like, four years to me is like, I got shoes older than that. Yeah, four years right. for him is half his life. You know? Yeah, right. No, when I was 15, 17 were the big kids. And, and uh, you know, that's for sure true. Now you went out at 15. You were like, this isn't going to work. I got to go out. I'm going to, I'm going to find my way through this. You're already very well read in so many different ways. So many, you know, businesses and philosophies and, um, you know, ways to do life, people who have uh, probably uh, great American literature, great international literature, and it's time for you to fly the coop. And, and, and that's what happens. And uh, now what city was that in? I was in LA. Oh, from you, Iran. We were in, I was born in Tehran and then yes. we moved through Germany to the United States. And when you moved to the United States, that's Los Angeles from there forward for yeah. the most part. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, there you are, you're, you're gone and your parents in, you know, there, I guess there's, I'm not so, not so, um, focused on what your parents think at that point, but I'm really focused on this idea of authentic self, this idea of true voice, this idea of really getting, uh, in touch with what works for you or what you can commit yourself to that there was, it seems like some deep searching going on in there, uh, Shaheen. What was happening? 15, do you have a recall, 15, 16 years old? Yeah. So I, you know, the first, first part of that equation is when you leave home and you're 15, you got to find a way to survive. So we go back to just primal survival, shelter, food, and, uh, you know, shelter, food, warmth, sustenance. You got to be able to uh, uh, survive, just live, have your human organism stay alive. So I figured out how to find a place to live. Um, I uh, was savvy enough to know that brokers were uh, uh, showing apartments, and a lot of those apartments weren't built yet. And I watched very closely. I got the lockbox codes which is what they give to other brokers to let them in to show the properties when they're not there. I found the ones where nobody was going to be there for a while. And I would stay in these luxury apartments. I'd bring a, back, uh, um, a sleeping bag and I'd crash out. And then before anybody was there, I'd leave in the morning. So sometimes they didn't have power. Sometimes they didn't have water. It didn't matter. It was fine for me. So my shelter was taken care of, or I'd sleep on the beach, whatever, if the weather was right. Um, as far as food, I would hang out at the community college. And the community college, there'd always be free events where they'd be giving away free food. Or I realized hot dog stands had ketchup, relish, and sometimes hot dog buns, which I could survive on. So that was fine for me. Um, and with that, I had shelter and sustenance taken care of. Now you could also shower at the community college uh, and all those things. And at the community college, I met a mentor. And mm -hmm. this guy changed my life forever. 
mm-hmm. and it was one of the most impactful things that I've ever done uh, was falling under this guy's tutelage because he was a- an exceptional person and he really changed and impacted my life for even to this day, I think about mm-hmm. stuff that he taught me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that mentor really, he stuck with you in many different ways over the next few decades up until now. There's uh, all of a sudden some very cool stuff happens to you or what seems like very cool stuff where you become, you know, we can fast forward a little bit, but you become kind of internationally known, uh, you know, like all of it, like, like from a guy we just heard about who's like, making sure no one's looking while he's stealing a package of ketchup and living in an apartment that's not dwelled in uh, and hurrying out in the morning within a, within like a flash, you're actually international figure at some level, getting around the world on your own and, and uh, making changes for people being someone who's using your savvy at a, completely different level than any of us really have an understanding about. Are you willing or or able to speak to what does that mean? What happened then? Oh, right. So uh, I I got involved in the rave electronic music scene um, under the tutelage of this this mentor. And I created a novel smart drug that sparked a revolution. And by the time I was still in my teens, we created over a billion dollars in revenue. It was pretty exceptional. That's so, crazy. Yeah, it was a crazy time and lived a crazy life. You know, I was doing press all the time. We had, uh, and I write about it in my book that you read, yeah. Billion, How I Became King of the Love the book, world. by the way. Oh, thanks so much. And yeah, and that was, you know, that was kind of that journey of, of making money and having a, uh, a really fabulous lifestyle uh that was quick to uh quick to rise meteorically and fall similarly mm. oh and fall similarly interesting so i i uh, i'm we could spend a lot of time talking about the rise meteorically but i think where i'm going to do with that is going to have people read your book because the book is is just astonishing it's extraordinary and you know with each chapter i'm just like holy shit shaheen and you know and and really like uh you know i'm i'm someone who's met tens of thousands of people and most of them have dumped their life on me hoping that i could assist them so i've heard really great stories from the very best storytellers and um, there's just not that many like you out there, Shaheen, and, 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 you know, who you then got to be, and then it drops, and I really want now, you know, I want to wonder, that I don't know the dropping story that well, but one thing I really want to ask you is, was it in some way either plus or minus related to your own authenticity? In other words, did authenticity lead to the drop or did the lack of authenticity then lead to drop? And is, or maybe they're not correlated as as anything, but I hear your commitment to authenticity, your commitment to being one sovereign self, to making decisions for your own, as you spoke about with your son. Can you talk about the interface between authenticity and this meteoric drop or the shift that has now led to you being pretty a little bit yeah. more conventional. Yeah. I, you know, it wasn't such a crazy drop. It was a, you know, with that company, it was just that the government didn't seem to like what we were doing. Pharma didn't like what we were doing. 
And they both got together and started banning ingredients and products. And at some point I just got tired and I was like, you know what? I made enough money. I'm out. And that was kind of the extent of it. You know, they tried to sue us. They tried to do all kinds of things, but nothing ever stuck. You know, there was nothing uh, crazy like that, but you know, people can, people can read the book. I'll I'll tell it to you like this. I was just reading about, I'm, I'm a big fan of ancient Egypt. I don't know if you like that. Do you ever watch like uh, Egyptian documentaries? Here and there. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan, like an absolute nut. Anything comes out on Egypt, any new discoveries, old discoveries, anything like that, I'll, I'll watch it. <clears throat> and the Egyptians had this belief that every man and woman dies twice. Hmm. They die once when their body dies and a second time when the last person who knows their name dies or forgets their name and goes away. Mm. Now it's interesting. I was just telling this to a a young man who I'm uh, mentoring and coaching in business. And he said, well, that's really egotistical. And I said, no, actually it's exactly the opposite. You look at someone like, the great kings, the great pharaohs, like this guy, uh, uh, Common, the uh, the boy king. Mm-hmm. This guy had a fucking man-sized coffin made from solid gold. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, albeit primitive, sure. But here we are, thousands of years later, and his name is still on our lips. Yeah, not so, just on our lips. There's there's buildings built with his name. He's still a major player in the game, for sure. So they would argue that, that he's he, still alive. That he has not died both deaths. I see. And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, what a great measure to live your life. And really for me, that's how I've lived from day one is that whatever I'm doing in life has to meet the measure of making that impact. Not because I want everybody repeating my name, but because when you can live with truly that concept of the two deaths in, in mind, it, in your heart, then you do the things that are meaningful, not just to you, but for others around you, for the people that you love, for the generations that you don't see right now. And I know it sounds very grandiose because all of this stuff has to start with one decision, one move, one step. So it's actually not that grandiose. But if, if we think of our lives like that, and I certainly think of my life like that, then you stop doing the petty shit that doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. And you have a broader view of the world as a whole. So when we look at these guys, you look at these ancient Egyptians, people are like, oh my God, look at them. They're buried with all their gold and they're buried with all this shit. You know, these guys were idiots. No, they were fucking brilliant because they knew 2000 years down the line, some fucking schmuck is going to open my thing up and he's going to remember me. Mm-hmm. The work that I did, mm-hmm. the legacy that I left is going to be remembered and I will not die a second time until I am later forgotten, maybe never. Mm-hmm. That's what they were talking about when they're talking about immortality. 
You read in the in the in the uh, petroglyphs and in the hieroglyphs and in all these ancient traditions, the Rosicrucians uh, on down, they talk about oh immortality and finding the, the the tree of immortality. They weren't idiots. They had medicine. The ancient Egyptians had all types of things. There was some evidence recently that they invented a fucking battery thousands of years ago, an actual battery. They have this thing, right? And we think we invented electricity. They knew that when your body dies. You're, you're done. But they knew that something else lives beyond that. And if they could live as if they had two deaths, then they could truly get closer to being immortal. Now you're in the territory of the gods. Mm-hmm. And that's when things get exciting because you can start to live your life like that. Brilliant, Shaheen. So the, 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 the first, you know, where I'm left with with this, and really, for me, this is like the hybrid I've been waiting for, you know, being uh, Jewish myself, there's, you know, I've gone through a couple changes about this question. You know, initially, I just thought, well, you just die, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that's it. And, and that really uh, puts a container on the things that I can do in this life. Somehow, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna do that. And I'm, I, won't, I don't think I can do that. And you know, that's kind of in a way because it's close-ended on the backside. And then when I started studying the Torah a little bit more a few years ago and started studying the Talmud a little bit more, doing a little bit more inside of the um, uh, the observant or the orthodox, if you say, religion the, when I lived in the Middle East myself in Israel, I began to learn about something they said, was, which was like the world to come. And there was an eternity, there was an eternity that got introduced to me that was somehow consistent with my upbringing. And that changed everything again in another way. In other words, no, we're never going to die. This, all we do is kind of do whatever comes after this body dies. But, dude, you're here forever, so you might as well deal with it. Mm. Now, what you like, deal with it. Like, there's no escape because there's no escape from being no escape. But what I'm hearing from you is something that's really a beautiful hybrid that, frankly, I, I even though I saw the Tutankhamun um, exhibit, which was extraordinary in Los Angeles just a few years ago. Um, I'm hearing something now, which is, yeah, you do die. And yeah, you do live forever, which is really, or you live for as long as people can remember you. Now, I'm going to bring up something here. I really, uh, back to my teenage years, we're talking where you're in your 20s now or so by the time we're talking about what's happening to you. In my 20s, uh, I, after I dropped out of school the second time, I went to, uh, I started working in a state mental health facility. And for the first nine months of that, of that, you know, I was working with kids. And for the first nine months, I was just terrified every day that I went to work. Terrified I'd get my ass kicked or made fun of or ostracized or found out from a fraud I am or whatever. And that day changed when the last patient who was there when I got hired, got discharged. In other words, when I had, when my seniority was longer than any patient there, so that I was now like, all of a sudden I was someone, it was my space. Now, nobody was there when I began, I was now living in a world where this was mine. It was like the next generation. I'm not sure how it exactly fits here, but there's something like, Oh yeah, there was, you know, like there's a comfort that existed for me at that point, a comfort with, um, being on the other side, 
being on the other side of this fence, and I'm really not sure how it interplays with so much with what you were trying to speak to, but I just get this idea that my job is to leave a legacy. If I want to live a useful life, my job is to leave a positive legacy so that my name or what I've done lives on long past me in a way that um, I can be maybe, what, proud or when I can be, um, I can feel, uh, what, gr grateful for the contribution that I left a, left something, I left a place better than when I came here or something like that. Mm. Is that, yeah. is, is that something you're after and something after teaching your kids or what do you think? Yeah. I mean, look, I spent a lot of time traveling through different indigenous cultures. I spent time with the Aztecs. I made a film about one of the last great Aztec medicine men called Serpent in the Sun, um, which I'm very proud of uh, as far as just like an artistic work. And I got to know uh, this amazing medicine man uh, of you know, one of the last living Aztec medicine men of his traditions. I've traveled to the Amazon. I've, I've gone down the Amazon river and handmade boats and hanged out with cannibals and done all that stuff. And it's interesting. Just, a, that, just another day in Shaheen's life, by the way. Well, you, uh, it, it was, it's part of the journey. You got to make your life interesting. You've got to do cool shit and you got to follow your fascination. We talk about that, but ultimately I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's all part of it. It, it all feeds into being a, uh, there's a great book called Ishmael. Did you ever read this book? I did not uh, read the book. And, ah, okay. Yeah. And Ishmael is about this. I think they made a movie about something like it, but it's about this like gorilla that starts talking and he becomes kind of this mentor to this guy. I think this was written probably like in the 1920s, fantastic book. And he really teaches this lesson of how some people and some cultures are takers and others are, are givers and you have to decide who you want to be, but you got to start with yourself first. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that I was always taught and something that I still practice to this day. I don't teach anything that I don't do myself. I don't teach anything that I haven't mastered or perfected myself at some point or some level because it's really, when you're talking about authenticity, it's really inauthentic to do so. And there's a lot of people out there who do it, even in the Amazon space. There's guys that everyone's got an Amazon course now, but I'm like, no, that's all we do. We make money on Amazon. And now we're going to teach people how to do it. That's how you become authentic. And when you start with yourself, when you start focusing on yourself, how do you improve yourself? How do you improve your life? The world around you improves by mm -hmm. the energy that you bring. So true. And so there's so many people that are worried about, man, I want to help out the environment and I want to save the whales and I want to save the pygmies and I want to save the trees. I'm like, dude, your life's a fucking mess. Go deal with yourself first. Go take care of your own house. Make yourself well. Go create wealth. And by virtue of your success, the people around you will become well too. By virtue of you stabilizing your life, the people around you's life will become stable. Mm -hmm. And that's how you win. That's how you improve the world. You start with yourself. Mm -hmm. 
as famed pedophile Michael Jackson would say, look at the man in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if people started just, just referring to him as that? It would be awesome. Alleged pedophile. So nobody sues me, but there you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. So from Amazon to Amazon, from the Amazon to Amazon, you, you go. And this, you know, I know when, I, when people look you up on Wiki, I'm pretty sure that film that you did is actually the top line of, you know, who you, who you get to be. When I, when I looked you up the first time, uh, you know, uh, attempting to make sure that entering your space would be safe, um, that's what I saw is that that artistic <laughs> endeavor was the one that you hold out perhaps as your, as your greatest feat or the one that you're most proud of. Is it the thing that you're most proud of? No, the thing I'm most proud of is my son. Of course it is. That, that is that is the number one thing. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I I have my hierarchy of things that are important to me, and it's family first, mm -hmm. always, forever. That's that's what I'm about. I'm a family guy and family first. Mm -hmm. um, after that's friends, then it's work, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be making movies. I could be writing a book. I could be detailing cars doesn't matter. Whatever I do, I'm going to bring that same level of excellence. Mm -hmm. And I tell people this all the time. You have to have your work. You have to have your home, your family life, but then you have to have your fascination and you have to be able to follow your fascination with an incredible amount of detail and passion. That's what passion's for. People oftentimes come to me and, and they're like, you ask them something, especially young guys. And they're like, well, I'm really passionate about this. That's why I'm doing it. I'm like, that's fucking bullshit. What do you mean? Oh, well, I heard Elon Musk. Or I heard Mark Zuckerberg say that, you know, when they were asked, I'm like, yeah, when somebody asks those guys, they're billionaires and it is wrong for them to say, dude, I'm fucking smarter than you. That's why I'm fucking rich. I'm much smarter than you. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, hyper intelligent. They're smarter than all of us. But it's not okay to say so. Hmm. It's not okay for them to say, I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I don't hmm. need to work as much. Like I'm like fucking dyslexic in eight different ways. I, I recently learned in the last 10 years that I've got multiple learning disabilities. I just have to work harder to get past them. And that's okay. But I look at some of these other guys and I'm like, fuck, man, these guys, like, they figure this shit out real quick, right? And they're better than me. But what the answer is when they go on the press and Scott Adams, the great uh, author and artist of he, he draws Dilbert, he's got a couple great books out there. You guys should check them out. He talks about this principle is that it's just not okay for in society for these guys to say, yeah, yeah, how am I rich? I'm ruthless. I'm fucking smart. And uh, just smarter than you. So that's why I'm where I'm at. And you're where you're at. Excuse me. My yacht is ready. <laughs> right? That's not okay. So what do they say? The default answer. Well, I'm just really passionate about this. I just want to help people. People don't understand. You want to understand how they're helping people, how all these billionaires are helping people. Read Armin Hammer's book. Uh, amazing art collector, massive philanthropist. But you'll learn why people do philanthropy. You'll understand philanthropy. The poor people don't understand philanthropy. They look at this and they go, oh my God, he just bought a painting for $30 million. What a waste of money. I could do so much with that. And I say, you don't understand money. You look at Armin Hammer. He bought a $30 million piece of artwork. A, he didn't do it with his own money. He talked to the Disney family and five other families to put up 
put up most of that money. And the money of his own that he did put in, tax write-off. But what do we see? This incredible philanthropist buying a $30 million painting and donating it to a museum of his namesake. That's fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. That's next level. That's next level. That's second life material too, if you think about it. That's it. That, like that guy... That guy's living hundreds of years into now. He, he no one's going to forget his name, uh, you know, when he dies or when as he's dead. You know, no one's no one's going to forget that. What is what's missing with this group of people right now? What the hell's going on that people are are living such hypnotized, sort of ineffective, wrong, quiet, uh, lost, um, misdirected lives? What what the hell's going on here, Shaheen? Yeah, I think some people are like that. And I think some people have, have broken free and are living their best life. I think it just depends. I mean, obviously, we're in COVID uh, still as we record this uh, January 7th. So uh, the world has changed, how we work, how we do business, how we communicate, all that stuff's changed. And this has been a, a major impact on the way people live their lives. But in general, you have a lot of things that are wrong with society. You've got woke culture that really is you know part of this cancel culture where we we look at people and we don't honor the stuff that they did because something they did doesn't agree with us so we're okay canceling that person out um which is highly problematic because we miss so much one of my teachers this guy Stuart Wild who is a great author a metaphysician uh completely wacky human being but I love him uh taught me that everyone you meet will teach you something Mm-hmm. What a profound statement. It's great. If you, if you look at the world through that lens, if you're sitting on the bus with some dude who's just boring as fuck, eating his chips next to you, and you just think, fuck, man, why, what am I doing here? Or you think to yourself, everyone I meet is teaching. What is he teaching? He's teaching mm-hmm. me patience. He's teaching me don't be like him. Maybe he's got some wisdom. Maybe I talk to him and see what he's got to share. But everyone you meet will teach you something. So I think that's the first part, is that people are too quick to cancel people out. Secondly, nuance has been destroyed, in my opinion. In the conversations that are going on since the last president, and you know, I'm not political in that way. Um, I, I believe in personal freedom of belief in any way you want to believe. But What we see in this country is a lot of polarization. Mm -hmm. And what happens with that is the death of nuance. You got to remember, we are nuanced people. We are nuanced humans. And not everything is, are you with me or them? Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you this or that? You can be Republican about some things and Democratic about others and Libertarian about other things. That's the way that most people are. Most people have varying beliefs across a wide range of topics, because we're all weird. We're all strange. We're all mutants. There's always something about us that doesn't fit in somewhere. But what society has done and what we've done is we've created this culture where everything has to be clearly defined. You have to stand for a defined set of beliefs, not yours, that somebody else has laid out for you, and then choose are you on the butter side up or the butter side down? There's a great Dr. Seuss book 
Oh, what a visionary. Uh, no the, Theodore Giesel. Yeah, he was an artist, but also, you know, he was quite the philosopher. And he wrote this book about these creatures uh, who, who lived in this weird make-believe land. And they were always at war killing each other or, or fighting each other. And the only difference between the two, they lived on opposing sides of a wall, was that one of them ate their toast with the butter side up. And the other ones ate the toast with the butter side down. And they held on to that belief with such religious fervor. And, and you look at that now and you're like, fuck, man, that's us. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was prognosticating what, what humanity mm-hmm. uh, really could become. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of shiny stuff culture. Our, our youth are being shown this TikTokification of what the world is patience has been killed there is no there's no hope for the younger generation now to achieve the levels of wealth in the generations before so they've given up they've gone about chasing the dream now so they like to travel and chase experiences and and look at TikTok and the and the five minute thing and buy the course from the dude that's gonna make him a million bucks overnight and have him driving the Lambos and the babes and the jacuzzi behind them. And they've missed out on the journey. And that's what's lost. What's lost is the journey. They've given up on the destination. That's a lost cause. They've forgot forget about that. Most young people don't even want to drive now. That's an incredible statistic. If you look at the number of people who in the 80s wanted to drive of youth and the people now who want to drive, they don't even want cars, much less so have any hope of achieving or and amassing this legacy wealth that we talk about. So it's an entire generation that's already died their second death before the first death has died. Mm. That's amazing. So yeah, they really have. They kind of have uh, traded it in, cashed it all in before they actually left the, this planet. There's, is there? I, I guess you know you're living into a culture with your son. You have a son who's underneath uh, millennials now, younger than this group that's been uh, been already killed off before they leave the planet. And there has to be something that you see as a possible solution. Like what, how does this unfold in a way where being creative or being generative or being innovative or, uh, you know, having a vision or going after what's important, you know, authentically, is there hope beyond this teenage belief that there is no hope? Is there hope for our future somewhere? Yeah. But you've got to, as you say, become an authentic human being. How do you become an authentic human being? There's only one way I know, and it's through self-reflection. What did they say? They uh, There's a saying in Latin. It's, I believe, nothi sutan. Maybe I'm mispronouncing it, but it it's spelled with a G, if any of you guys want to look at it, just like gnocchi, Italian. I don't know why that's that they don't pronounce the Gs, but there you go. And what it means is know thyself. What a profound thing. Know thyself. You got to know who you are, not just your strengths, but also your weaknesses. How do you get to know yourself? It's through self-reflection. It's through taking time aside to be in nature, taking time aside to have quiet, being in silence, and then also being around people who inspire you by following your fascination, by journaling, by looking back at your life and seeing where you did things right and where you were a complete asshole 
These are the things that lead you to become self-reflective. And finally, as Richard Koch talks about in his book, Unreasonable Success and How to Achieve It, spectacular book for anybody interested in that, you got to have a transformational experience. We change, we become who we are through extraordinary life experiences. Sometimes they're not good experiences, but they still change us. Some people uh, have a car accident or they're struck by lightning or some medical thing happens to them and they survive and come out the other end completely changed. Some people go to the Amazon and do ayahuasca or, or, or something like that. It's not necessary, but some people do that kind of thing and their life has changed. Some people have some crazy life experience. And that changes them. And some people travel. They travel to all parts of the world and they have an experience that really gives them that opportunity for self-reflection. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you got. So something has to change. You have to seek mentorship. You have to seek transformational experience. You have to seek travel. You have to try different things and be willing to talk to different people. That's the key. You got to, and, and you got to take time. You've got to take time in silence to reflect back and look at your life and to see where the changes that needs to be made. That's what all these ancient cultures talked about. They had oracles and it was a very common thing. You, you look at, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Norse mythology and the Norse gods, the, the Viking gods. And you look back at that and they had the runes. So they would take time to consult these runes and you look at them and people are like, oh, okay, that's kind of wacky. It's kind of woo woo. They had these like bones that they toss or these stones and they had these markings in it. And it's supposed to tell you the future. No, that's a way where they could take a little bit of a break have a little bit of quiet time and reflect back. And they would sit with who? Their shaman, an elder. And they would tell them what was going on in their life. What is that? That's mentorship. We're looking at more primitive civilizations than ours. So the language is going to be different. Same with the Aztecs, same with the Maya. You look back throughout history And there are these traditions of self-reflection. So I'm sure if we sat back 2,000 years and we we talked to one of those guys, we'd be like, oh my God, this guy doesn't know how to fucking turn on a light switch. Like that's that guy's level of sophistication. But you know what? If you sat down and talked to him in their language, I would guarantee you that some of these guys would be really Mm self-realized and self-actualized human beings. Right. This is amazing. So I'm going to try to hook this back to something else you said, which is, I really love what you just said. Thank you for all of that. That's just epic and and just a great list. And I took some notes. I just want to say what you said, you know, inside the world of the only pathway, uh, you know, the only pathway to authenticity is through self-reflection. You speak to like, uh, you know, being out in nature, uh, honoring quietness and silence, um, you know, really uh, um, following your fascination and, uh, you know, uh, like learning about people, transformative experiences, uh, mentorship and travel, trying different things, uh, really taking time. Like in order to do that, 
it seems this idea of having a second life is very useful because if it doesn't matter anyways, I'm not going to want to take that risk to do all those things. I just assume be the dude sitting next to you on the bus eating chips. And, you know, I don't got anything to do. There's not, it doesn't matter anyways. I'm going to be dead in a few days or dead in a few months or dead in a few years. But there's something about having a life that works that goes into, no, you're actually not going to be dead. And all these things that you think are a threat to your livelihood can be overcome by, by taking on these sovereign projects of, uh, built on the notion of self-reflection. Where does these kids going to find this motivation to actually be self-reflective? Does that, you know, what, why should they be when it doesn't effing matter anyways? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think by seeking that, by looking inward, then stuff does start to matter. And that's right, right? Yeah. I think that's the answer. So you take the step. It's almost like walking off the cloud gets you to the next cloud. Like you take this step into the unknown and things start to matter a little bit. They start like, to matter a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does, what should, what should we know? What should we know? What is it that we should know about? Look, I see you and I, I there's part of me that giggles when I see you because I, I see that you've done all this. You've had a life or two or three or five up until now, right here on this planet. And you really do carry out uh, the image that you're just kind of a normal family guy, you know, like you have found yourself to a space where you look the part of, you know, being almost non-controversial in, in how, you, how you walk through the world. And yet your mind is working in multiple different realms all the time. You're looking for the way to achieve success, to be a massive contribution, to live a long life, long past your own death. What, what has, um, I guess, what is the impact? Like, how does one learn how to be both accepted centrally and at the same time be out on the fringes uh, saying and doing things that people just don't naturally do? Can you put together that you might be that kind, you might be an example of that kind of person? Yeah, man. I think you can't care about what people think of you ultimately. Thank you. Ultimately, really, you can't live your life like that. I know people who do. I am not one of those people. My wife, much more so. She's a publicist, works in human rights and that kind of thing. And so she's always like watching me. And she's like, oh, don't, don't, don't say that. No, that, that, that. But I'm like, I'm going to be who I am if I'm talking to you, if I'm talking to somebody else, if I'm talking to one of my buddies, if I'm on a, a big show. I did Adam Carolla's show not too long ago. If I'm talking to him, if I'm on uh, you know, the news, whatever it is, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Like, mm. This is who I am and I don't give a fuck. Now, some of that freedom comes with having fuck you money. So when you have fuck you money, you don't really care. You want to cancel me out? Cancel me out. It doesn't matter. You want to not buy my book? Please don't buy my book. It doesn't matter. I didn't write it for you. If you don't want to go see my movie, great. Don't see my movie. It's fine. It makes zero impact on my life. But the people who get it, the people who understand, the people who feel the energy that I'm putting out and respond in like, they'll be drawn to me. And together, we can do some great shit. We can make some real change, some impact 
in the world and get ourselves a little bit further away from that second death. Hmm. While mm-hmm. all those other people, the haters, the trolls, all the woke cancellation people, all those people are forgotten. Interesting. Yeah, beautiful. Shaheen, what is your hope for the next five years? Wow. So forecasting is something that's very challenging for me. So first and foremost, I'll tell you, one of my superpowers as a human being is spotting trends. I'm really fucking good at that too. I think we covered two of my things. Two things. I think, yeah, two, I think that's about it. I think that's all, all right, I've good got. Good father and spotting trends. Yeah, great that's father. It. Way good, fucking great, great yeah, father. Yeah, great father, spotting trends. Everything else I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I think mentally disabled with. <laughs> but outside of that clinically, I'm sure you could diagnose me after this. But outside of that, I think in the next few years, we have a lot to look forward to. I think the world is evolving. I think COVID has really changed the way that we work. It's, we've realized that, hey, man, we could work from home and not be complete bumbling idiots. And that there's different ways where we can conduct business. E-commerce has blown up. Um, real estate has gone through the roof. People are realizing that financial freedom is much more achievable than they think. We're learning that we're pretty crafty with our resources, with our medicine, how things get done, you know, how, I mean, again, not to go into politics or or any of this stuff, but the rollout of the vaccine from our perspective is like, oh my God, it took fucking forever. It took two years. And if you look at it from the perspective of history, never has there been an advancement like that deployed that rapidly with that much technology and that many minds applied to it. Whatever you think about the vaccine, whatever your opinion is about that, mm-hmm. that shit was rolled out in an unbelievable fashion. We are at the height of human technology. It's orders of magnitude more efficient, more advanced than where we were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have a lot to look forward to. I think I look at myself at 46 and then I look at pictures of my dad at 46 and I'm like, fuck man, it's a different, you know, and then I look at my grandfather at 46 and I'm like, whoa, it's a very different thing. I don't feel 46 Hmm. and uh, I hope I don't look all of 46. I guess if I get enough, enough gray, I'll be 46. I don't mind. I mean, I don't care. You know, aging is aging and we'll all get to the point. But the fact is that we're living longer and we're living longer better. And what that gives us the opportunity to do is to have more time to make that impact and get just a little bit further away from that second death. If someone were to thank you for that, if someone were to ask you, like, how do I take the first steps into making my life? I, I get it, Shaheen. Your life was great or you're like, you know, you, you feel like uh, you have a contagious, uh, a, a contagious set of mannerisms that has me wishing that I also had a life that was worth it because my life has, you know, kind of died or it's on its way of dying. What would be that first thing you would ask them to do if they were if they came to you as a mentor and they're like, okay, how do I respark my life? How do I how do I like the pilot life that went out on my life? Great question. Start with financial freedom. I think 
and people don't want to tell you this again, it's one of those things that's not politically correct or people don't like to have it heard this way. And it's mostly poor people who talk like that, by the way, but start with financial freedom, become independent. Having money makes most things a lot easier. It doesn't make your life perfect, but it makes things a lot easier because it empowers you to have that freedom. So start with your financial life, start looking at yourself, start taking time to meditate, take time out to be in nature, take time out to spend with your family and ground yourself, bring yourself to a center and start from there. And don't be afraid life again, for me, I can only speak for for myself, but it's about the journey. So people get so scared when they're like, man, I'm a mastery level at this and that in my life, but in business, I got to start over from ground one. I got to be a white belt. I got to start at the very beginning. And it's, it's frustrating because I'm a black belt at this other thing and I'm great at doing all this other stuff. But when, I, when, I get, when it gets to this thing that I want to do, I got to start over again. And it's like, no, it's not about that. You get to start over again. You get to start with a beginner's mindset. You get to start with your cup empty. And experience all that amazing stuff. So it's it's a blessing and not a curse. Mm. Starting over and really just starting over, being willing to take those risks, being willing to be to really get that in order to start doing something, you have to take a first step down that road. Being willing, you know, again, self-reflection, financial freedom. Uh, being just essentially grounded and being in nature and and really looking at how the world's unfolding and maybe looking at ourselves and and you know the way to financial freedom um there are it seems like there's so many ways that are unfolding at these times and the youth, you know, people who now are going through a different youth education, they're going through a different training, they're not doing things quite like we were. Okay, so you say to them, yeah your pilot lights out, let's start with financial freedom. And they're like, dude, I don't even, I don't even have five bucks to buy a sub for lunch. And I'm, you know, I mean, you could teach them how to eat ketchup packages, I guess, and start from there. But uh, what are some of the, maybe some of the early steps towards financial freedom that might be a great idea? Yeah. So I, look, I, I teach people foundational wealth and what I teach in foundational wealth is pretty straightforward. Start with, building out your foundation. The first part of the foundation is you're going to need to have a career and that career or something, a trust fund, some way where you don't have to worry about money, some nest egg. Okay. When you're not worried about how to put food on the table, when you're not worried about where your next meal comes from, how little Johnny's going to get his diapers, you are in a much better place to get into that white space and self-reflect, to figure out what you want to do, to follow your fascination and to make money. The second part of that process is you want to start looking at, you don't have to get involved in it right away, but cash flow positive real estate. There is more wealth made in real estate than most other things, stable wealth. The third part of that is get into stocks and compound interest, invest into markets and learn how to do it. Start small practice, start practice accounts, learn how to do it, but put your money in something that is going to create compound interest over time. And the fourth pillar, table with four legs, good. Table with one leg, you're a tripod. So 
really try to have the four legs is having an e-commerce business. And we teach that. If anybody's interested, reach out to me. My direct email, darkzess at gmail.com, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. I got a one-hour crash course on how to sell on Amazon. Anyone's interested, we teach you how to find a product, how to start an e-commerce store. And it's normally 200 bucks. We'll give that for free. If you use the code word humanity in the subject heading, just reach out to me. Also, fbasellercourse.com, FBA for fulfillment by Amazon. Check us out on Hack and Grow Rich, wherever podcasts are found and on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe and like. Uh, Check us out on Instagram, also Hack and Grow Rich. And if you're interested in my book, it's Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. But that fourth pillar is going to be e-commerce. Start an e-commerce business. Start some real estate there. And, and go from there. Just, uh, brilliant. So I'm glad, I, you know, I was thinking, well, when am I going to ask Shaheen to give me all his credentials? And so we got that piece. I get to put a checkbox in there on exactly how to find you and exactly how to follow you. And really, maybe more importantly, exactly how to learn from you. And that's what I do every day with you, Shaheen. It is a true honor and pleasure to have you as a mentor, as some, as a friend, as a colleague, as a fellow human uh, taking a trek through this crazy world. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being on Welcome to Humanity. Is there any closing comments you have for any of our listeners um, on either side? You know, yours, mine, it turns out that we now have a whole family, yours and mine, watching and being with us. Anything you want to say to us? Uh, follow, follow your heart and really get to know yourself. You're probably, even if you're an asshole, you're probably a pretty cool person somewhere (laughs) in there. So find out who that person is, get to, get to, get to know yourself and know your strengths and get to know your weaknesses. And even if you're an asshole, work on fixing that. Some of the coolest guys I know, the best humans on earth are people that have realized their assholeness and came out on the other side, just being really fucking good people. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. If we can strive for excellence, strive to become good people. And from there, work up to our legacy, work up to how will our names be remembered? Mm -hmm. That's a good way to do it. Then we'll be somewhere. Yeah. Or you can build a fucking, 9,000 ton solid fucking gold sarcophagus. That's another way. But most of us won't be able to do that. Yeah, not probably not. <laughs> Jean, thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been a deep pleasure. And uh, for us listeners or your listeners who, uh, who have hung around this whole time, thank you for really appreciating this great conversation. I love talking to Shaheen. I, you know, there's part of me that like wishes I was Shaheen and now I forget, oh no, I got, I should probably work on me first and I'll be Shaheen in the next lifetime. And for all of you who are really here and have enjoyed this, uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's like Shaheen is such a great example of welcome to humanity and such a great example of what happens when you bring true voice. Shaheen Cheyenne, thank you for being with us today. It's just been a deep pleasure. I really appreciate it. My honor, Doc. Thank you so much. Have a great, great week. You too. And talk to you guys later next time. See ya.